Welcome to Call Your Girlfriend, a podcast for long distance besties everywhere. I'm Amina Tussauds. And I'm Ann Friedman. There are so many scams we have not yet addressed on this show. I feel like sometimes lumping the scams together is what gives the perspective necessary. For literally hundreds of years, wealthy people, most of them white, have been scamming their way into elite institutions of higher learning. Wow. Thank you. I, you know, I almost forgot this is what we were talking about today, and I'm excited all over again. <laughs> well, we're talking about other scams too, but like that is that is a noteworthy one. Hey, Ann Friedman. Hello. How's Sorry, that was overcompensating. I feel kind of low energy. <laughs> I, you mean Jeb Bush low energy? <laughs> it's sort of like, you know, when you're on the phone to make an appointment or do some kind of life admin and you're really frustrated and what you mean, what you want to convey is like some sense of urgency and annoyance about mm-hmm. this, this like system failure. And instead you find yourself being like, thanks. <laughs> Like, I really, I, sometimes it just, it comes from somewhere deep within. And I, I'm like, I didn't mean to be that nice about this failure. I know. It's like the people who just put exclamation points, too, too many exclamation points, and then like the heart emoji in an email, you know, when I'm just like, just say what you want to say, which is that you're not happy. <laughs> but also you might be socially punished for saying what you want to say if you happen to be a woman. So I'm like, I also understand over happily punctuating. And... You might know this, but uh, sexism is a scam. Oh, my God. Great intro. It's almost like we planned this. <laughs> there are so many scams we have not yet addressed on this show. I feel like sometimes lumping the scams together is what gives the perspective necessary. I know. Like I, There have been many scams and hoaxes because I do feel like we have to make a distinction. Some things are scams and some things are like legit hoax. What's the difference between a scam and a hoax? I mean, let's go to dictionary.com. Okay. A hoax is to trick someone into believing or accepting as genuine something false and often preposterous. So like a hoax is like when a very old white racist man, this is actually a hoax that I love that happened, I think a couple of years ago, was like said that some black kids had defaced his property and uh, the graffiti was signed The Blacks. <laughs> Wasn't there a Clint Eastwood movie about this? There's always a Clint Eastwood movie about this. But I remember being like, oh, I hate kids who graffiti. And then I looked at the tag and I was like, sir, you wrote that yourself. <laughs> so yeah, a hoax is not. A hoax is when like... Preposterous. Ho- right. Okay. And a scam is a fraudulent or deceptive act or operation. I feel like operation is the important part here. It's true. Like one racist guy doing fake graffiti, he's a hoax. (laughs) Like that is not a full operation. A hoax involves like conspiracy. You know what I mean? (laughs) (laughs) Also, I just think it's generally more elegantly executed and (laughs) it has longer term consequences. Well, and also a scam, uh, the the sort of secondary note, thank you, Merriam-Webster, is um, that it's about obtaining something like money. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is also like a hoax can just be someone doing something wild for no reason. <laughs> <laughs> I love this. A scam has got um, some intent behind it. The taxonomy of um, 
of deceiving people. Oh my god. <laughs> I'll do we do it. But I feel like uh, most of what's been happening lately is deeply in the scam category. Oh, it's 100% in the scam category. Uh, what are things that have been happening? Okay. Well, for literally hundreds of years, wealthy people, most of them white, have been scamming their way into elite institutions of higher learning. Wow. Thank you. I, you know, I almost forgot this is what we were talking about today and I'm excited all over again. <laughs> well, we're talking about other scams too, but like that is, that is a noteworthy one. People are framing it in terms of, um, so what you're talking about is the college admission scandal. I'm talking about some wealthy people, some of them celebrities, uh, on the who matrix in various places, <laughs> some of them not, uh, who paid, money to some like fixers and also some people within universities education consultants i mean yeah <laughs> i'm making can't, the biggest can't see quotes. the air quotes on the <laughs> podcast <laughs> um to secure a place in a prestigious university usually by some kind of fake placement on like an athletic team and sometimes um, there was a person who took the the test scores oh right and yes the mean the means of deceit um the means of deception were uh were someone sitting for the test who was a professional at taking tests for other people as opposed to the actual wealthy child in question so yeah so this is in the news because like like actual money has changed hands in a way that people hadn't been aware of um, even though like money changes hands to get, um, you know, people who are generationally wealthy into prestigious schools all the time. And no one's upset about that. I hear what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> Did I zoom out too fast for you? No, no, no. You didn't zoom out too fast for me. I just, you know, the thing about like this particular college scam that is interesting is that I understand the impulse of a lot of people to say like, well, you know, actually this is, um, Felicity Huffman and uh, Aunt Becky, I don't know how you say her real name, uh, trying to like get their kids into... And, and William H. Macy, too. And William H. Macy. I'm sorry, Anne. I'm the real sexist. <laughs> <laughs> William H. Macy was not indicted. We can um, have our class analysis and our, our, like, our sexism analysis. We're operating on a lot of levels. Is that I understand the impulse of a lot of people saying that, like, you know, like these celebrities cheating the system in this specific way is um, a great entree into the conversation of how actually uh, admission to most universities is a money game. But a thing that is lost for me in that is that the thing that these people did in this particular scandal, like some of it is like very egregious, like goes be it goes beyond just like hand, like exchanging of money, which is it goes what, beyond making a big donation and then wink, right. wink your kid. getting it, in. it goes beyond making a big donation. Like I laughed about it for a long time. And then one of the things I was like, actually like this is very despicable is how a lot of these families like misuse the disability accommodation policy that a lot of students um, can get to get like more time for testing or to be accommodated in a particular, in a particular testing place or whatever. The thing is that um, everybody already makes people feel like shit who need accommodations, even though like they don't deserve to feel like shit. And the only people that will actually suffer from all of this transpiring are the kids who need that time, you know? And so for that alone, I'm like, electric chair send them away forever that's the thing that is awful this idea also of like white people feeling entitled to a very fancy education when they make people of color usually feel like they have to justify belonging in every space especially like academically elite spaces it's like hmm 
this is also interesting. So like, I never want to jump so fast into like the conversation of like, let's talk about the bigger scam. I'm like, let's like really focus in on some of the harm that is being done here because there, there are places where I'm like, the harm like goes very deep and also is not being addressed. Well, the, the thing about accommodations aside, more to the point about who gets singled out on campus and who very explicitly does not get singled out for their worthiness to be there, I think is, yes, obviously a part of this scandal, but like also just a long running thing that underscores 100%. all kinds of elite education. Look, like if there is an upside, like most many of the scams we discuss are like, this is just outrageous. You know, we love laughing at like rich people getting scammed, right? 100%. But this is rich people doing the scamming. And I think like often when rich people are the ones doing the scamming, there is a whole system to support that scam. And I think like that's what's happening here. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. We're only down with like harmless crimes, like, you know, scamming your way into getting a free hotel room or pretending that you're that you're a fake British royal analyst. Like that's fine. But with this, it's just criminal action is happening it's turning me into a full like socialist i was like we need to eat the rich this is ludicrous of course we need to eat the rich 100 <laughs> percent. like like you know they're on it on its face social cannibal it's almost hard to tell what is by the letter of a law the law a crime and what is just like the way people have operated for a long time mm-hmm. okay look we all love talking about like Anna Delvey and that British royal scammer guy and like the fake Saudi prince and all these people. But the fact that like, you know, there are these people who somehow managed to duck the scam label. This scam was running like not in the literals, have someone take a test for you, but in the sense of let me just pay for this visitor center or whatever. And you will let my kid in without too many extracurriculars. <laughs> um, <laughs> like that scam is like, is, is, is a long, long running scam. I mean, um, it's also very telling the way that it was framed, like in the indictments, like you can read this where it, the thing that the person who is accused of running the whole ring would tell the parents is that, well, you know, you can give a really ginormous donation to the school and your kid might get in, right? So you can like donate a hospital wing, you could get a library, you could get some like bricks on the floor with your name on them. Mm, no guarantees might, though. Right, and then that's not guaranteed. And he was like, but I have a guaranteed side door. And the fact that, you know, there, one, the fact that there are people who can afford that, because also like the amounts of money that are involved are wild to me. The parents who were like, here's $15,000, take this test for my kid. I don't respect it. It is like a ginormous amount of money, but that is like, those people are operating on the same spectrum as like the other people who are giving $500,000. So I am also just interested logistically in like how money is distributed in the scam. I was like, wow, wouldn't you be pissed if one person gave 15K and their kid got in to USC and you had to give $500,000? Like, what does this say? But I just wouldn't you be the most pissed of all if you actually took the test and had to take like take out student loans? (laughs) Wouldn't wouldn't that be the most? most, Yeah, wouldn't that be the most frustrating? Um, You know me. I'm always like, how can I identify with the scammer? Um, (laughs) I know it is a natural tendency because they're on a journey. They're on like they are on a journey. But you know the thing about this too is that like this scam, the scam is like very dumb. Like it's the kind of thing where there is also a reason that they got caught. You know, I think that. Um, the people who donate the $3 million library, they're paying for what they get. They're like, if I give enough money mm. that, you know, they're like, I am above board here. <laughs> but if you, if you're going to cheap out on your, if you're going to cheap out on your terrible spawn, then you're definitely on your own journey. 
it's just been like very fascinating to look at and even the ways that the school the schools are addressing it as you know everybody's very aggrieved they're like we're we're institutions of higher learning and this shouldn't happen here. But none of the schools are saying, hey, we're actually going to look at structurally how um, people gain access to our institutions and what makes some people feel entitled to the fact that they just belong here. Mm-hmm. That's not a part of the press release ever. The press release is Or like, we're going to look at legacy admissions, for mm-hmm. example, which is like a huge way that inequality manifests generationally of just like, you know what, like generations of mediocre people in this family have gotten to do this. And so what's one more like that is the operating principle of the legacy admission, right? It's like your grandpa did this. Why shouldn't you Um, must be nice. (laughs) Like literally doesn't apply to me. The only place that I'm a legacy is nowhere. And also, why isn't that like socially ostracizing, right? People being like, oh, you know, I heard he's a legacy. You know, like that is like 100% like, I guess, I don't know. I don't, I didn't go to a school. I'll tell you why it's not part of the reason that, um, elite i hate using this word because it's so many air quotes today because it turns out that all the people who call themselves elites are just like gnarly terrible human beings i was like i don't know how to tell you this like we're elite um so (laughs) in the truest definition the elite um the elite capital e the people who think that they are part of why they like to be surrounded by each other is because they're all in on the scam like that's the point of like not letting other people in because then you know it's like who interrogates the structure of power usually outsiders so don't bring outsiders in as a person who is not entitled in this specific way it's a thing that i like i find very fascinating and like one of the easiest ways to kind of see it is that you know we're women so we like understand structural misogyny like pretty well but like one very low level thing that people will always talk about when we talk about like the amount of space that men take is how they just feel entitled to be there how did you learn that how did you know that I don't know. Maybe if your whole life (laughs) you're told that you're something special, a.k.a. elite, and that you build the institutions and that it's your birthright to be there, maybe you always behave that way. Hmm. The other thing that, like, this story is, like, so fascinating for is that, especially when I look at the celebrity parents, some of those kids, like, did not need to go to college. (laughs) You know, like, they're parents of influencers who are making in a year, like more money than they've donated to the school. Like, I'm sorry, if my kid is a successful YouTube influencer, I am not sending that person to school because there are literally people at USC journalism school studying how to be good at YouTube. And my kid has figured it out. Like, we don't need to do this. And so I think- Counterpoint. Tell me. The influencer economy. We don't have a long history case study there. I'm just like, I don't think those skills are transferable. But here's what I was going to tell you that to me, it's actually not about transferable skills. It is about the fact that like, You know, a lot of people like tell their kids, um, middle class, like lower income people, immigrants, it's the way that you make money is to go through these institutions, right? Like that's, it's always like, that's the, that's the goal. My parents were not like, go get an education because, you know, studying like Greek mythology will like, it'll make you some sort of enlightened being. The classics. Yeah. It's like, (laughs) this is how, like, this is how we eat. You have to do this. And so when I think about the fact that like for some of these people who already have money, who could like learn how to diversify their money or whatever, that the the reason that they want their kids to go to school is because it's a status symbol. And that is also part of the Oh yeah, they're embarrassed to tell their friends that their kid isn't going to a top tier university. It's just, and that I think is another like value that we have in society that like needs to be interrogated. I was like, oh, this is why we shit on any kind of technical school. It's why we shit on community colleges that are amazing. It's why we don't let people go to trade school and treat them like they're, uh, you know, they're actually like doing something that is worthwhile. 
And that makes me really mad. This is not to shit on USC, even though I have feelings about USC's level of education. But the idea that a college is just good because they don't admit a lot of people, I was like, we should probably just look into that as well also. You know what I mean? You have enough space to probably take most people who come here. The reason that you don't is because you're juking the stats. And (laughs) it's not the best school out there. It's a good school. It has become a status symbol because it's exclusive. And a lot of these parents are chasing exclusivity for their kids. And that is also something that probably should make you feel like cringy. And... Uh, you or know. rather maintaining exclusivity for right. their kids. I don't think a lot of these kids were, unlike people for whom admission to a prestigious university will significantly impact the outcome of their lives. It's mm-hmm. like these kids were on a path already. Look, like I have my feelings about the reliability of being an influencer as a long-term career. <laughs> I think Olivia Jade would have been just fine. Now Disagree. Her, now her mom has fucked up her bag forever. Um, Normative beauty so. fades. <laughs> The beauty fades, but like, you know, they like learn things. I'm just saying that if you are somebody who does not want to go to college and you do not come from a significantly like disenfranchised background, I'm confident that you'll find a way in life to be okay. Sure. And that's I, all I'm yeah, saying. I am not disagreeing with that. I was just thinking about the influencer long game, which is a different episode. <laughs> I'm, I, I went down a separate rabbit hole. I, I you don't, don't know. think Assad is going to make it? My God, where are they now? People, I actually recently. Where are they now? Assad and Blue Ivy. I feel like it's like Assad and like that duck everyone in New York was obsessed with for a while, like and Blue Ivy and like like there's like a lot of internet personalities that I have not I have not heard from in a while. <laughs> the duck is doing fine. Thank you very much. Um, unclear what Assad is up to. Blue Ivy is still the hardest working rap producer in the game. So. Hang on, I'm gonna find Assad. I think Assad has an Instagram. Okay, Assad has 1.9 million followers. <laughs> wow, baby influencer life. I mean... Baby influencer life to me is a particular kind of demented thing that celebrities do. And Assad's page, actually, I had to unfollow for this specific reason. Because whoever writes it, writes it in Assad's voice. I don't believe that Assad is verbal yet. This child is not saying sailing anyone lol. Okay. Like <laughs> that, that is the caption I'm looking know, at right now. But like, you know, another episode of this podcast will truly be uh, parents who set up influencer pages for their kids. It's truly, we really are in like late stage capitalism. It's just, it's all falling apart here. Um, let's get back to structural scams after this break. Okay, the most rage-inducing structural scam, the fact that the 2020 Democratic primary has already begun. First of all, that's like tier one of like this, of the next scam we're going to talk about. But then tier two being, guess who has like been declared front runners in terms of money raised, in terms of media attention? I don't know. Do you want to guess? I'm, who, who could it be? Could it, could it be, could it be a woman? No, can't be a woman candidate. 
Could it be a black woman can? Mm. Mm. Is is there a white man that's running? Is there a, a like is there a tall white man that's running? Maybe that's him. I'm looking into my crystal ball. Someone who has been described as having a lot of charisma. Ooh, the Texas Kennedy? Is he running? Right. We're talking about Beto O'Rourke, the like fawning coverage of him, the like persistence of any coverage for Joe Biden. Who like hasn't announced that he's running yet, right? But somehow we're still hearing about this. I will just retweet his like slighting of Anita Hill in the 90s every day <laughs> until <laughs> until he drops out again, which is also inevitable. Uh. Okay, so this is the thing that's making me mad about Beto in particular, which is... I was really happy that he was running for Senate. Like, yes, great, great choice. Run for a job you're qualified for. Run for a job you're qualified for. And then you know what? A few other candidates who were running state level races or races for Congress and then lost despite there being lots of love for them nationally. Unlike those other candidates, which we'll talk about in a second, he has continued to kind of get positive coverage for just hanging out. Yeah. For like being like standing on counters, continuing to rely on his spouse to provide childcare while he just like has a finding himself experience. Meanwhile, other candidates who were, I would say like positively on the national radar. I'm talking about our fave Stacey Abrams who lost her race for governor of Georgia and Andrew Gillum, who lost the race for governor of Florida both of those folks are seems like actually working and not road tripping and also not running for president. And are you saying that um, in after the midterm, we had three like left darlings, two of them were black people and that they all lost the election. All three, they all, all three of them lost the race that they were in and that the white guy has decided that he is running for president and somehow the other two have gone back to work to register more voters in their in their states. Is that what you're saying is going on? And you're, we're surprised by this? Shockingly, <laughs> shockingly, that's what we're saying. Hi, man, the levels of shock. This conversation is like interesting, right? Like I gave Beto money during the midterm. I was excited that he ran. I was excited when he was a congressman from Texas. Right, I, me I've too. Been, I've been knowing Beto right. work and uh, been a supporter. But here's the thing. He works really well when his foil is like a ghoul, like Ted Cruz. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, like no shit. I was excited during the midterm. That shtick does not work so well when it's 20, when 2020 is on the horizon. We've been working hard. We have been working to like get everybody on the same level of like, okay, like get on our level of what is going on here. In terms of who we are interested in as a primary candidate? In terms of who we're interested in in primary candidates. And also, there are a lot of, like, very qualified people who are running alongside him, right? And so it's interesting to me that somebody like Elizabeth Warren, who you can feel, you can feel how you want to feel about her and feel how you want to feel about, you know, the, the Native American fracas. You can feel how you want to feel about that. But just like on a purely, like, candidate level, here is one person who every single day, they're, like, pumping out a new policy. They know what they're doing, just like on top of shit, like have been legislating in the Senate, knows how to make stuff happen. I saw that clip of her running to get a train. Oh my God. Did not get winded once. Like she just, you know, I was like, you can feel how you want to feel about Elizabeth Warren, like probably ready to be president. Look who's president now. Like the the bar is quite low. 
And it's interesting to me that as a woman candidate, she has to focus so much on her credentials and on the policy that she has to have an answer for. How are you going to pay for that? How are you making that happen? And then there is another kind of candidate who just gets to be like tall and handsome and waffle on how they feel about Medicare for all gets to make gaffes straight out of the gate. You know, like he he made that joke about, which I thought was in poor taste, like making the joke about his wife, like not not being there to help his wife. I cannot imagine- With their world, many children. I cannot <laughs> imagine a world in which a female candidate like makes that same joke. Like, oh, I'm not there to be a mom. And, then, and the country just like lets it go. I have a hard time metabolizing all of that information how he like announced that he was running like a, an announcement in like a, a fancy magazine going on a like endless road trip and really finding yourself and what did the vanity fair cover say that he had i like the the kicker for the piece was incredible well first of all the headline on the online version is quote i'm just born to be in it Speaking of structural scams, scam. <laughs> yes, like my He's father right. was a politician. My family has a lot of money. Yeah, I am my a tall, white, charismatic has a lot of money. Man. Mm-hmm. Who gets to? Who traditionally gets to run for? My wife's money does have a lot of money. <laughs> yeah, my, I'm sorry, my wife's family has a lot of money. Yeah, um, you know, I'm like, who gets to run for president traditionally? It's who gets this people. dusty Annie Leibovitz photo? It's these people. It's not people like Stacey Abrams who are like, uh, I have a lot of siblings. I come from a family background where we have experienced like deep class warfare. I don't look like the profile who gets to be a leader. I, like, I can see how that person doesn't wake up and say, I was born to be in it. <laughs> Even though she was. Yeah, yeah, she was 100%. But um, that's not how the scam works. I, right, exactly. And I think that for me, I am really happy to have lots of people with national level name recognition who have politics that generally I agree with. Like, I think it is a good thing to have mm-hmm. a lot of people associated with like, politics or the future of the party, like in specific names, not just like, you know, ideas. However, there are a lot of different ways to like work to advance your ideas, like within a party system. And when you are going from zero, i.e. lost my Senate race to 100, like now I need to be president, you are sucking up a lot of oxygen in the room. And I like, I almost had an aneurysm. I went to the New York Times homepage, like maybe, (laughs) maybe a week ago. And it was coverage of Beto in Iowa. And I'm just like, I know for a fact that like Kamala has been in Iowa. Mm-hmm. Elizabeth Warren has been in Iowa. Amy mm-hmm. Klobuchar has been in Iowa. Gillibrand's been in Iowa. Gillibrand has been in Iowa. Like, you know, they're definitely the women who um, who have announced for 2020 are hanging out there and meeting voters and getting a good reception. If you click down like eight stories deep into like the Des Moines Register or whatever, you'll read about them. But like the homepage of the New York Times is just like, guess what? Breathless. Beto is in Iowa. That is where I start to just be like, you don't actually understand when you say, look, like I know that like I'm a white man and maybe, you know, in terms of the scope of history, that's not demographically what we need right now. I'm like, the scam is saying that and like head faking toward being better or knowing better and then doing the same old. Like that is how you run a scam. And I'm like, why are you not registering voters in Texas? Like, like get your ass to Texas and register voters or like work on issues in your border community that have to do with very real needs that could use a charismatic white man doubling down on them and drawing attention to them. Right. I'm not interested in helping anybody win who I'm not even sure that they can win their own state yet. What are you doing in your state to make sure that you are going to get all the support? 
which is what Andrew Gillum and Stacey and Stacey Abrams are doing. And that is, you know, and they're doing it like obviously for themselves for whatever they run for next, but they're also doing it for the future of the Democratic Party. <laughs> because Or, or that, rather just yeah, structural progress too. You know, right. like the future of everyone who wants to actually exercise their right to vote. Your point about how much media coverage a lot of the women candidates are getting, like that's something that I'm definitely keeping my eye mm-hmm. on. And also how that gets talked about. I noticed a couple stories, you know, like months ago that were the variation of the the Hillary, like, does she really have hot sauce in her bag? And noticing um, stories about, you know, Kamala, like Gillibrand, they're trying too hard. They're, they're not connecting with people. And I was like, hmm, this is interesting. So all of the years of male candidates running for president doing like dumb shit you know like eating butter at fairs and wearing cowboy hats in the south that they have no business wearing iconic obama photo of this people do this they go to small towns they do the small town thing it does not look authentic when men do it it's called retail politics when women do it it's phony it just seems to me that the people who are writing the stories of our politics have learned nothing they have truly not equipped for the moment still learn nothing And we're still dealing with this bullshit. And in fact, we will deal with more of this bullshit as the race continues. I would much rather that we fight about these candidates on an ideas level than on truly like bullshit sexist double standards. That's the only way that they're all going to push each other to be the best candidate that they can be. I was like, that's like, let's talk about ideas. Let's talk about ideas. Let's talk about power. Let's talk about change let's not use this opportunity to just like make sexism lit again because that's not gonna work (laughs) i have to say too that it's almost palpable like after this vanity fair profile came out and after like the focus was more on oh who is beto and like like beautiful annie leibovitz photo on like a dusty deep dusty like road in texas kind of vibes i mean you all sorry not to interrupt you but you also remember the new york times like feature on him where he young man in New York trying to find himself. Like these stories go hand in hand. A hundred percent. And so for every reporter who, I mean, I am positive that there was a reporter who was like assigned to follow Gillibrand or something like that, you know, wherever she happens to be in the country and was pulled off that story to go do a puff piece on Amy O'Rourke or something like that. Like I'm confident that <laughs> like, I, I honestly, you I'm know, just like the sweat that is dripping down my face, is- you know, I don't gamble and I would put all of my chips on the reality of that being mm-hmm. a thing that happened in a newsroom. And that's what is so hard. I mean, listen, we have not talked about 2020, primary politics yet because part of me is like look like it's too soon (laughs) I'm not ready to have all of the same fights you know I'm not ready to talk about like what flavor of Ben and Jerry's got assigned to Bernie Sanders as while we ignore policy proposals from like women in the race like old drama like old wounds and also like this is the kind of stuff that is not that useful. I'm like, okay, if you are one of a couple of contenders or if you have won a Democratic primary, like go do the coverage on what your family life is like and how you found yourself and what mixtapes you made when you Mm. were like a searching teen. It's also too soon to interview any man who is like, I like to drink beer. Like we are all still recovering from the Kavanaugh hearings. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry, I'm laughing. It's because I'm nervous. (laughs) (laughs) It's just, it is really, I feel resentful. The real scam is that we're, and we're sitting here talking about him. Like we got got too. Mm -hmm. Definitely got got with that (sighs) one. Yeah, I like can't, can't believe that man has that job. Um, Sorry, yeah, that was you know, a rant. <laughs> I know, it's a rant. But also, like, you know, this media coverage is a scam. 
One of my hopes for, you know, having more than one woman run for president and generally run for many different offices is that it complicates the narrative and it complicates a lot of people's understanding of women in power. But it is like very depressing to see some people might not be getting it. Like in the way that you are betting about the puff piece, my bet is that some of these campaigns, some of these campaigns that have a woman candidate at the helm, they're looking at the landscape and they're like, okay, it's fine that I'm not the front runner. It's okay to like let somebody else lead in the beginning and then we'll hit them where it hurts later. Like there are people who just like, you just know the strategy and that is, it's not great being a, a front runner like this far out. It's just, it's an exhausting, like you will run out of gas in the tank very yeah. soon. And a lot of them also are used to being underdogs and they're used to be, you know, like I don't think that any of them went into the race thinking like, okay, day one, like I, everything I say is going to be on the front page of the New York times. There's always going to be a reporter covering me. There's always, you know, like mm-hmm. I am very confident that that is not anybody's like, that is not the attitude of any woman who is running for office. And my hope is that like, you know, as we get closer to the actual debates and as we get closer to the times that matter, that Again, like we're talking about ideas and big things because this election is about really big things. Mm -hmm. And so I will feel very defeated if we have the same old fights again and fights about dumb shit. Yes. To your point about hoping for something better in terms of actually having multiple women in a presidential race complicating narratives about what is a trait or a quality of a specific woman like Hillary Clinton versus what is sexism or like what mm-hmm. is old tropes of how we cover women. The Center for American Women in Politics at Rutgers is a place that does a lot of polling on like how do people feel about women candidates. And several times for like assignments where in 2008 and 2016, people were like, Oh, find out what the what the studies say about how do people feel about women running for president. And the answer is there are there is no useful data because we don't have information on women running for president. We have information on women running for president, like mm-hmm. woman Hillary Clinton. And that to me is the biggest loss here of like okay, if all the oxygen is sucked out of the room by a couple of white men, at least give us the data. Like all I want, like, like that is the, that is another part of this of like, wouldn't it be great to just have more information and something that feels like a complicated conversation about what does a woman presidential candidate look and sound like? And what are the expectations, even in the negative, like even like this mm-hmm. is the stereotypes people have. I'm like, that is still valuable and interesting in a way that, I already understand how the boy wonder trope works. I don't need to know more. Yeah, I know how a white dude gets elected to president. I know, we all know. Know how that works. You know, there are some white men that are running for president that I'm not mad about. Tell Um, me. The mayor of South Bend, Indiana, Pete Buttigieg. I think I'm saying that right. Do you think he should be in the race? Let the booty judge. Uh, let the booty judge. Um, <laughs> what are we calling ourselves, Team Booty Judge? The booty gang? Is that who we are? To be fair, I am not endorsing any particular candidate. In fact, I've given money to multiple candidates this uh Spread this the bets. Early. I'm spreading the bets. But also, mostly, the reason that I gave Pete Buttigieg money, um, wow. actually, is because he is kind of the underdog candidate. He needed, I believe, 65,000 individual donations in order to make it to the debate. And I think that he has interesting enough ideas that he should be in the fucking debate. And also so far, like talk about a white man who understands like how much space he takes has been like conscientious about talking about issues, 
when I'm saying that like the bar is low, it's also true. I was like, oh, like there's a candidate who taught himself Norwegian so he can read novels. I'm like, I'm gonna overlook a lot of things. It turns out that this one is actually also, like smart and good. we do like good. him more because he's gay. I'm gonna be yeah. honest. Also, yeah, I mean, that was the other thing that I was gonna say yeah. is that he, like, he's gay, which is something that is like really important to me. He is also a veteran, which is something that I, like that is a community that I care a lot about. And that's also important to me in somebody who is running for president and the kind of experience that they bring. Surprise, surprise, millennials be running for office now. You know, whenever people make jokes about millennials, I was like, I don't know how to tell you this. Like, we're old enough that we're fucking running countries He's an now. old millennial. He's exactly my age, a.k.a. the oldest millennial, the a.k.a. Oldest millennial. almost generation Catalano. Like, Listen, <laughs> you're still a millennial. It doesn't matter to me. Um, and this is not an argument about millennials. It's most, it's an argu- <laughs> it is an argument for the fact that I think that having younger people bring energy into politics is something that is very important to me right now. When I look at somebody like the prime minister of New Zealand and the kind of leadership that she has, it's hard for me not to think about that in terms of also like generational values. Having a candidate that's a fucking mayor, like which who knows what he's doing, you know, like your manager. Thank you. Also somebody, you know, the business book vote, (laughs) right? The business book vote. But also, you know, like on an identity level, I'm like, I'm not going to lie. I am excited. This seems like a breath of fresh air to me. Like, it's not a surprise that women who are senators like are running for president. That is a track that we have explored before. Seeing somebody who has like a different kind of experience is just a different kind of human being. That's also important to me. And so I think that like I want to see more of this. So when people get excited about people, I was like, this is like this is the kind of excitement I can get behind. So. Yeah, and I think the age point is really important, and it does affect how I feel about some of the other candidates who are in this like shallow and wide primary pool. <laughs> I believe that people of all ages should be represented in the government, but like 100%. right now, like old people are disproportionately represented, and you're 100 percent right that like looking at all kinds of demographic representation issues, first millennial presidential candidate. Listen, check, I'm, check. <laughs> I'm here for it. I am so here for it. And, uh, you know, so it's going to be a very long race. <laughs> oh, my God. That is the thing. Like, even as, okay, I know, even as we sit here and talk about this, someday we're going to look back and be like, March 2019. That's how long we've been talking about this. I mean, and the thing is, you know, like, we have really resisted talking about it. This this started, like, a long time ago. You know what I mean? It was and the so, rage flare I experienced this week that ooh, really... <laughs> I'm also just, like, gearing up for the fact that we, got, we have to fight amongst ourselves before we can even, like, defeat the final boss. There's so much work that needs to happen, and so on a very practical level of looking far ahead and being like, wow, this fight is long. I'm just trying to pace myself Mm -hmm. and trying to save my outrage for things that really matter and trying to save my energy for things that matter, but also really focusing on the places where I personally think that I can be effective and the things that I can do and the things that I actually care about. So, And a lot of that is not like looking at polls in March of 2019. Right. I'm yeah. like, call me when we have a debate. You know what I'm saying? Uh, I've really been loving. I mean, I will. <laughs> I've, I, uh, I've really been loving some of the town halls, honestly. So if you're looking for like content of how do I experience like what a candidate is saying? Right. I as opposed that, to only what the Vanity Fair wants to highlight. Right, yeah. As opposed to like what Vanity Fair is trying to highlight as opposed to like, you know, who do you follow on Twitter? And do you think that they like have better ideas than you? I do think that some of these candidate town halls have actually been very effective because you hear from them one on one and even people like people have surprised me. And so I just 
I was like, that's how I'm trying to, uh, I'm trying to consume my candidate news. I'm like, you like talk to me. And so let's see, let's see where we pan out. I love that. And then also just being a more critical reader of like, not just your normal news sources or like your social media, what are people sharing about 2020? Because that tends to privilege, like, I don't know, all of the things we're talking about in terms of tropes that are already beloved, like the scam, right? The, the, the scam of inequality already being perpetrated in presidential politics. You can instead seek out news about candidates, probably women candidates, if you're going to have to be hunting for it, mm-hmm. who you care about hearing from and like that you actually want to know about. And I think that that experience too is really different than what I have already confessed to, which is like rage spikes when you're just reading the homepage of the New York Times or like looking at your social media feed. Ooh, here's to a long year. Oh my God. <laughs> the scam is afoot. The scam's afoot. It's like a year and a half. It's not even, ugh, it's longer. Okay. Well, you know what, <laughs> boo-boo? I'll see you volunteering for a candidate somewhere, maybe. Oh my God. I, that, not for a long time. You're going to see me on the <laughs> internet long before you see that. But yes, you will. See you on the internet. You can find us many places on the internet on our website, callyourgirlfriend.com. You can download the show anywhere you listen to your faves or on Apple Podcast, where we would love it if you left us a review. You can email us at callyrgf at gmail.com. We're on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at callyrgf. You can even leave us a short and sweet voicemail at 714-681-2943. That's 714-681-CYGF. Our theme song is by Robin. Original music is composed by Carolyn Pennypacker-Riggs. Our logos are by Kanisha Sneed. Our associate producer is Destry Maria Sibley. This podcast is produced by Gina Dalvac. <laughs>